the giant Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, wonderful giants, long-time listeners or first-time listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number 32 of the Giant Thinkers podcast. Ram Castillo here, and as this goes to air, I'm counting down the days that my second book, How to Get a Mentor as a Designer Guaranteed, gets released between mid to late September. The pre-order stage is first, and one massive benefit is that you have the chance to win the mentor prize pool. So what is it? Well, if you win, you get a 30-minute one-on-one Skype call with 16 different world-class experts. That's eight hours of mentorship. One book purchase, paperback, ebook, or audiobook during the pre-order stage equals one entry into the prize pool. Some of the experts include Ben Fullerton, design director of Nike Plus, Kevin Lee, global head of design for Visa, Nelson Kunkel, national creative director for Deloitte Digital, and even former AIGA executive director Rick Graffay, all of whom have been on this podcast. Head to giantthinkers.com mentor opt into the mailing list, which is specifically for updates regarding this book, and you'll know more as soon as this all goes down. Now, I'm so pumped to share not one, but two amazing guests with you on this episode. I spoke with the Chief Technology Officer of Blitz Metrics, who is an internationally recognized expert lecturer in the world of Facebook marketing. He has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, LA Times, TechCrunch, Fox News, and CBS. He has previously held leadership positions at Yahoo and American Airlines. And I also had the pleasure of chatting with his Blitzmetrics colleague who shared some fantastic insights and stories. Some of the topics we spoke about include six specific phases of personal branding to get noticed and maximize opportunities, how to leverage the $1 a day method of Facebook targeted marketing, his advice for designers on how to network in a meaningful way, and why mentorship more than anything else will guide you to your version of success. Now, before we dive in, I'd like to share with you about FreshBooks. They make ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software that's completely transformed how freelancers and small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. FreshBooks have basically taken all the really annoying admin tasks creative types hate doing and turned them into simple, intuitive, and dare I say it, even enjoyable moments. A few examples of the time-saving features in FreshBooks are that you can create and send professional-looking invoices in under 30 seconds. You can also customize your invoice by picking a template, adding your logo, and even add a personalized thank you note. When you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to the guessing games. And my favorite feature, within literally two clicks, you can set yourself up to receive payments online. And we all know our clients love paying by credit card straight from their invoice. So it's a win-win. This is only a fraction of 
fraction of what FreshBooks can do to save you a ton of time and stress. The good news is that FreshBooks is offering a month of unrestricted use to all Giant Thinkers listeners. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash giant and enter Giant Thinkers in the how did you hear about us section. Really important. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash giant. And there's a clickable link in this post. All right, let's get stuck into it. I present to you the super intelligent Facebook mathematician and online marketing whiz, Dennis Yu. Dennis Yu, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, my friend. Hey, Ram. Good to see you, buddy. We also have a guest, I believe, that's uh, part of your team. Hey, I'm Logan Young. Logan. Morning, you guys. Good, good to hear from you, uh, Logan. Uh, welcome. Um, and uh, Logan Young, right? Um, so this has been a uh, spontaneous uh, occurrence for, for Logan to join us. So we're getting two for the price of one um, <laughs> in a way, which is awesome. Uh, so before we begin, uh, firstly, I should thank Sue B. Zimmerman, who uh, is an incredibly smart and talented mutual friend of Dennis and, our, uh, and myself who introduced us. Uh, she's also been on the show, episode number 12. So a big thank you to Sue. Um, so first off, Dennis, I have a little icebreaker for you. Yeah. What has been the most surprising Facebook ad you've seen that's worked really well? One of my friends likes to dabble in Facebook ads. And he found that uh, he's tried in a bunch of industries. And one thing that he did, his name is Michael Johnson, which is very generic, so you won't be able to Google for him. <laughs> he had a couple roofing companies that they would go out and fix people's roofs. And he would advertise when there was a, a hailstorm or ice storm that would wreck people's roofs and say, hey, call so-and-so and we'll come fix your roof. And then he found that if he connected the Facebook API with the with different weather reports that were based on different airport geographies, that he could turn ads on and off when there was a hailstorm. And then he, based on that working, he would then sell leads to roofing companies all across the United States. I mean, I'm sure that would work in Australia as well. <laughs> and he's built a whole multi-million dollar business just from doing that. And who would have thought that creating leads for hail company, or, you know, hail leads for roofing companies would have ever become a whole business? And it just shows you that niches that you would have never thought were big enough to create a whole industry and a company are available to you. There's so many different ones. I'll, another example, this guy had a friend who did, you probably have seen it, even though you're not in the States, the Bernie versus Trump impersonations. So he's two of his friends dressed, one dressed as Donald Trump with the fake yellow hair. Another one had that white hair as Bernie Sanders. And he's gotten a couple hundred million impressions on YouTube, Facebook. He's been on all the major TV shows. So it could be uh, The Tonight Show or Ellen or all that made the whole rounds because what he did was use Facebook ads to target people who work at the Grammys, uh, at CNN, at Jimmy Fallon, at whatever it is, right? And that's the idea of the dollar a day principle that we've talked about, that we think that if you're a designer and you're trying to grow your brand, you're trying to get a job, you're trying to delight your girlfriend, you you know, want to get a new client. This is the what appears to be snake oil, but is actually the magic elixir that will work for just about anything. And that is what I find so surprising is that because of the targeting that's available on Facebook, if you can spend a dollar a day, you don't need software, you don't need to hire anybody. 
if you can spend a dollar a day and do things in the right way, you can reach almost anybody. But you have to have the right content. And that's what we've seen over and over and over again. And we have people that write in that tell us that we tr- that they tried the dollar a day principle and it got them a job at Yelp. Or another friend of mine, he, he has the rights to license all the Elvis Presley clothing and bedding and stuff like that. He wanted to get into Walmart. So we targeted people that work at Walmart, that work, uh, that live in Bentonville, Arkansas, where the headquarters is. And his stuff is being sold in Walmart now. Now, of course, you know, you don't just have that thing work, you know, run an ad and then 10 days later, all of a sudden it's working. But that's what's been the most surprising thing for us on Facebook is that it's still working eight or nine years later, ever since this has been available, the idea of targeting people by where they work and their job title. And what's probably even more surprising than that is that people don't even do it. We've talked about this hundreds of times and, you know, you go to a conference and people don't even do it. Or they, they, because they're too busy, because it's too hard. They think you need money. There, there's no reason not to. Yeah. There's so much juice in what you said. Love it. Um, so for, for the audience, uh, of course, uh, we are getting nuggets of clues here um, because you have, of course, been uh, internationally recognized as a lecturer in Facebook marketing and been featured in, in many places, including Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, TechCrunch, and, and many more. And you've mentioned this $1 a day um, idea of, of uh, executing um, Facebook ads, um, which I'm sure the audience will, would love to know more about in terms of the mechanics. Uh, we'll definitely um, weave this in. Um, and I think it's important to point out that uh, the audience of the Giant Thinkers community, of course, are emerging uh, designers and um, established designers looking to take things to the next level, whether that's in their professional life or personal life. Um, but the um, the mission that uh, that you guys have over there uh, at Blitz Metrics, which I love, is is of course to create jobs for students as well, um, so that they can help companies drive leads via Facebook, especially, um, and partner with universities to provide the training and the projects while students get paid and certified. So that, that's hugely appealing for the audience. And um, there's a certain um, high level of, of alignment here. Um, but before we get ahead of ourselves, uh, can you share to us um, where you would say your expertise lies? I'm an optimizer. I'm a math person. I didn't speak English until I was seven. I felt comfort in math problems because if you could solve down the answer to five, then that's, that's the right answer. And nobody can take credit away from you because they didn't like your essay because it was subjective. And so math has always been the thing that has been kind of where I run to is safety. And I studied finance and economics. I competed in math contests. I flew around. I studied the dictionary and represented California in the National Spelling Bee in 1988. So all the kind of math and technical and optimizing lots of data. You know, I'm Asian, so that gives me a little bit of an advantage. That I've translated into helping people, right? So I believe in mentorship and mentorship is not only caring, because you can have a doctor that is completely a quack and doesn't know anything and he could care, but still kill the patient. So if we can take processes and math and things that people can follow and combine that with the human side of caring for people, that's where my expertise lies. That is where I've spent an entire career trying to find that intersection. How do you care for people, yet at the same time, be able to put processes in place that people can follow? So you, it, on one hand, you have the, the gushy, emotional, 
love you kind of embrace. On the other hand, you have the robot that's very logical and calculating. How do you bring those together? Yeah, uh, really love that. I mean, numbers don't lie, right? So um, that's such a powerful perspective there. Um, Can you dive in a little bit more about your childhood and, and how you grew up? I was a failure all through my childhood and I couldn't get anything right. I could, I was ostracized. I didn't have any friends. I was not cool. No one wanted to pick me to play dodgeball. I would spend all my time in the library and I just, I don't know, partly, I, I guess it caused me to, to detest other people because I didn't want to hang around them because I didn't want to get rejected. And I would eat lunch all by myself. And what I've learned from 20 years of doing that is a, a lot. I've read 4,500 books. And even during the summer, I would read for hours. And I feel like reading is a great way to connect people that are of historical significance, especially autobiographies. I love autobiographies. I don't like to read biographies because it's written by somebody else and you're not getting it directly. You know, a microphone in reverse is actually a speaker. And when you ingest someone else's words, when you read scripture maybe, or you read something that's inspirational, or you read a historical figure talking about how they made decisions and the way they think, you're playing those same tracks through your mind. And my childhood was about who could I meet that I want to emulate? Even though I might not have those kinds of role models accessible to me, maybe Bill Gates and Warren Buffett wouldn't have time for me, but I could read their books and I could learn from them. And I could pretend that if I was sitting in a chair next to them and we were having lunch and discussing something as they were explaining, I'd pretend that I was having a conversation where they'd say something and I'd ask them a question and I'd I'd imagine how might they respond to that. And that was fascinating for me. And maybe I was, you know, a total loser, but I got lost in books. And it wasn't that I love books. It's that I love learning. And I felt that that was a worthwhile way to constantly be improving myself and make myself self-reliant. But then I hit reality and high school and the need to be able to socialize and college where you have to be able to work with other people, even though you could technically start a business, you still have to deal with other people. I know creatives may struggle with that in a different way where they want to be true to their art and who they are, but you got to deal with clients and clients are a headache. You got to work with other people. You have to collect money. Even if you have great art, you've got to justify how much that's worth. You have to negotiate the cost, right? And so for me that I had a really hard time transitioning from childhood into becoming an adult. And I marked the break of becoming an adult where you've got to pay your bills. You've got to be organized. You have to have your own place. You have to not need mommy and daddy. And that was really hard for me, not because I was dependent upon mommy and daddy, because I wasn't. I went to a boarding school. It was that I didn't know how to relate to other people. I was so scared. I'll tell you, Ram, when I started my first real job at American Airlines, I was in my cubicle. I got in there because the, the previous CEO got me that job. I couldn't get any interviews. No one would hire me. I tried sending my resume everywhere. It was no good. I don't know if you guys have the same thing. Once you become a freelancer, you, you know, you're trying to get these jobs, get people to hire you, take clients that you don't want just because you need the money or whatever. But I remember sitting in, in my office and the phone would ring and I would just look at it and I wouldn't even answer it because I didn't know how to talk to other people. And it, if it weren't for the mentorship that I got on how do you act in a business environment, how do you create a contract? How do you talk to clients? How do you know when to ask for money? How do you say no to someone in a polite way? I would have completely failed. 
And that's, for me, the transition from childhood to adulthood was mentors that recognized where I was strong and recognized where I didn't really know what I was doing and assist me there. Yeah, I, uh, it, I'm, I'm just thinking how serendipitous this topic is because uh, as we're recording this, it is the uh, 6th of August and uh, the end of September is when I am due out or uh, first week of October, I'm, I'm due out to launch my second book called How to Get a Mentor as a Designer. Mm. And um, this topic has been uh, one that um, I feel, um, not only I feel, but I have asked uh, the audience of the, the community uh, within Giant Thinkers, what is it that they need that they feel that uh, they're struggling with and that I can uh, potentially provide them assistance with. And I got within 24 hours, about 300 emails mm. back from the community saying, uh, can you be my mentor yeah. um, or um, can you help me get a mentor? Mm. And so then I embark on this, um, on this massive uh, year, which has uh, been about writing um, and uh, in particular creating steps that I've diluted down to 12 steps, um, which, which is great. Because at the end of the day, what, what you're um, bringing to light is the ability for a mentor to uh, cut the guesswork uh, for you, see the blind spots, um, not only succeed faster, but be fulfilled deeper. And, and I think um, that's, it's, it's so great to hear that part of where you are now was learned and was through uh, human connections and relationships and people that were willing to give you a chance. But you used currencies like curiosity, you used currencies such as good old fashioned hard work mm-hmm. yeah. um, and willingness um, which, which is so powerful to hear, uh, from, from someone, uh, such as yourself. Um, so what was the catalyst that propelled you into the world of Facebook marketing? Um, and of course, meeting people like Logan Young and many of your team who are, um, who are behind you in, in really making a difference. You may remember that Facebook started as a social network for college students, for dating, for rating how attractive women were. And when that, when Facebook opened the F8 platform in May of 2007, I was just really fortunate to be there and build some of the first apps and build an ad network and make a few million dollars doing spammy kinds of things. And it got the attention of Mark Zuckerberg. He got pissed about it. Hmm. And long story short, he and I argued about what was okay and what was spam and what was not spam. And we shut down our ad network. But what we learned was, there is a huge number of students and just people in general that they, they're crying out for help. They need a job. They're trying to improve their career. They want to get married. You know, part of the property I spent the most time on at Yahoo across mail, finance, sports, travel, shopping, small biz, whatever, was personals. People that were, which I think is probably the most important decision you're going to make in your life on who you're going to marry right? I mean, it's, it's a big decision. And if we could help people make that decision, then we are doing something good instead of just trying to make money. Obviously you got to pay, pay your bills and Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever, before you can work on these other kinds of higher aspirations, right? But man, Facebook opened up such a world of data that I never realized was possible. 
if you remember, Ram, this is kind of embarrassing, but do you remember those ads on Facebook? Like, what's your IQ? Yes, I do remember that. That was run by our ad server. <laughs> and if you remember the, um, which of these, uh, um, th- there were a lot of these dating ones. Uh, like one of these three women is it, is attracted to you. Yes. Yeah. So that was run by our ad server, right? So <laughs> that's how we made millions. We found, you know, and I'm I'm ashamed of this, but you know, we I've since turned away. I wrote an article on TechCrunch that was one of the most popular articles on the internet a few years ago. But the, the idea was, you know, what if we actually could deliver upon what used to be a false promise? And Facebook opened up a world of personal information. And I think Facebook done properly instead of a place where people are just scanning articles about how they hate Donald Trump, can be a place of mentorship because you can connect with the right people. Mm. See, Facebook and their algorithm doesn't judge kind of what you, what's right or wrong. It just gives you more of what, you know. So if you click on basketball photos and basketball content and watch basketball videos, what do you think Facebook's going to show you? Sure, right? so just the same thing, yeah. So more if, if you can feed the right, so don't blame the machine. If you can feed the right signal into the machine, it will give you back more of the right thing. So the onus is on you. If you look in the mirror, Ram, and you don't like what you see, don't blame the mirror, right? Don't blame Facebook. So Facebook opened up this whole world of social data of people that are connecting, that are frittering away their time. And I think Pokemon is going to be the next kind of thing in AR, where people are just wasting time. They're trying to connect. They're trying to create meaning. They're trying to pay their bills. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful way to finally transition off of social data. So we've created a system, training, software, all this, you know, how to run ads, how to build websites. We've got all that. I'm a technology person, okay? But then the idea of pulling in Facebook data is that's how we're going to be able to cross that gap into creating mentor opportunities because we can connect the people angle of it because of the dollar a day strategy, because we can reach people that we want, because we can say thank you in ways that were not possible. Hmm. Let's talk about the dollar a day a little bit more. Firstly, what's what's the basic underlining principle behind that? And um, of course, it's a very appealing, uh, very appealing way to execute within budget and um, to to not just go willy nilly boosting what we think is going to be of uh, high engagement. Uh, can you talk to us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I could talk about that one for a little bit, Ram. So dollar a day is a little bit of our bread and butter. As Dennis mentioned, we're all about helping college students, young adults, and people who are kind of looking for these jobs, these different things. And one of the common challenges is these people don't have the money or resources a big business has, right? They want to get their message out there, but they don't have a team behind them and they don't have, you know, $500 to throw away at advertising money. So that's where dollar a day comes in. It can be really powerful. It's the solution to their problem. Like Dennis said earlier, it's not, you know, this snake oil, it's the elixir. And essentially, the way it works is not just that you put a dollar in the machine and Facebook does it for you. You have to know who your target is, who your audience is. You have to have some kind of message, some kind of content. Let's say I'm an art director and I'm looking for a job. I have to have something to put out there to say, I'm an art director. Here's some of my stuff. And I would love to work for such and such company. Then I have to know who I want to see this message. I can't just send out aimlessly to everyone, but you choose people who are influencers in your field. So think of it like this. You can pay someone on their blog to advertise on their blog, and that might cost a few hundred dollars. And they might put your your ad that you're an art director on their blog. Or you could create something compelling and target that person through job title targeting and through 
finding out information about them so that you advertise just so that the blogger and they see your content and they're impressed with it and they automatically put it on their blog because they're impressed with it. So then you've only spent $1 to get the same result that would have taken $500. Does that kind of make sense? I mean... Yeah. So so let me... Let me uh, back uh, backtrack to to an example that I think um, you you've placed quite well, um, and you can expand on um, for sure. I'm sh- uh, I'm certain you you can. So it, it, the art director, let's say, is uh, going from uh, from either being let go of his job, let's say, okay. and he has two options. He can either obviously go freelance or um, ideally, you know, find another full time role. So. How would he, besides having a portfolio and having his LinkedIn profile up there and his, his, you know, sending out emails, how would he use this dollar a day in that example um, more specifically? Sure. So it's like, as Dennis mentioned earlier, the problem you just said, you know, a lot of these people are frustrated with sending out the resume to everyone and no one's getting back to them. Yes. So the first thing you have to do is you have your portfolio. You really need to focus on an advertising world and graphic design world, we talk about the USP, your unique selling proposition or point. Hmm. So you have to nail down what you have to offer, create some kind of content. Maybe it is just your portfolio, but you have to find who you want to hear about you. And rather than sending out a spammy email to 500 people, let's say I really want to work for, um, let's see, uh, you know, Ogilvy, yep. their big one. So I would, I could, I could target people that work specifically at Ogilvy. And let's say I know that, okay, Maybe a few hundred people work at Ogilvy, so I don't want to target all of them, but maybe the CEO specifically does the hiring or I want to target him. So I could target at a location. So let's say Ogilvy is located in Sydney, just for example, even though it's... uh, So I could target in Sydney people that work at a certain place and with a certain job title. And there's obviously more than this. But So you, you have to find who you really want to hear your message and then target that person specifically by doing these things. So that way your content will show up on their newsfeed when they go on Facebook. And if it's good, if you have a USP, if you've done a little bit of personal branding, you have something you stand for, you have a why rather than just Mm. here's what I can do. Like, here's why I do it. Here's why I'm passionate about it. That will make you stand out so much more than them just getting another 100 resumes came in through my inbox today. Sure. Can I jump in real quick? Yes, go for it. Logan has been doing this less than a year and he's already traveled all around the country and soon around the globe teaching other folks how personal branding is the fundamental starting point to be able to then make dollar a day and these kinds of things work. We spoke in a number of colleges, but look, I'll give you a couple more examples so you can see what this really means. One of our friends, Tyler Doyle, he wanted to get a job at a particular agency. So he spent less than a dollar. I want to say he spent 91 cents and you might spend $10 targeting the people that work at that particular agency, but it's not enough to use LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook to target. He had to actually create a post saying, here is what I've done and here's why I'm a good fit. Imagine Ram or anyone else listening here that you created a one minute video saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I've done. This is what I like to do. Kind of a video resume. And then the people, and you want to go work at Verizon. You or you go want to, you want to work at your favorite sports team or you want to work. It doesn't have to be an agency. It could be anywhere. Then Imagine if those people see it, that's going to work. They're going to see it. They may or may not call you, which is why you might have to make multiple videos, but you know what? That's way more powerful than submitting your resume to HR. And if you've got personal branding, you see, it's like that Socrates, what is it played? Know thyself kind of thing first. You have to know what you stand for. Otherwise, the people who would hire you, they, they don't know who you are. And then you, you put the work on them to try to figure out who you are. 
So we like to say that everyone should start with creating a three-minute Who Am I video. And the three components of that are, one is you start with when I was. When I was 15, I really liked cars. You know, I don't know. And you tell some kind of story, right? That's the first minute, when I was. And two is what I do is, and this is what I've done. This is my portfolio. This is what I'd like to do if you don't have any experience. And the third part is what I believe. You know, I believe that everyone should have an opportunity. I believe that because of what happened, you know, because I was abused and, or my mom was this and that, or because, you know, some kind of story that leads to something that shows that you have more mission and purpose than, oh, I just need a job to pay my rent, right? Whenever people, you, you, when people are going to hire you and they say, why do you want to work here? You never say, um, because I'm two weeks behind on rent and I need a job right now. You can't say that. You got to say something that sounds like, yeah, this is, this is what I stand for and it aligns with your values. And you have to find something that's legitimate. People can tell if you're lying, right? So if you do this three-minute video that you believe in something, then you can use the dollar day technique to get that in front of all these other places. And it doesn't require super duper expertise in Facebook ads or programming, or it's super easy. Anyone can do it. It takes just a few minutes. There's no software required. Doesn't take a lot of money. There's no special access. Hundreds of people have done it. It's easy to do. But like Logan was saying, you got to know who you are first because you can't just take this thing and blast it to the world. You need to know what companies you want to work for, which then pre-assumes where do you have experience? What would you like to work? Where do you have some a level of knowledge, even if you don't have a portfolio? And then the whole thing works because you start with your brand, which is your story. That leads into the work experience that you have. You then use dollar data to amplify it to where you'd like to take it next because people hire people. I think a lot of people, because of the internet, they think that somehow you can, and I know people that, you know, if you're shy and you're introverted, like I am, but I can be extroverted, extroverted if I need to, you, you sort of don't want to go out there and you tell your story because it sounds like you're being pompous or you don't want to be shaking lots of hands. It feels fake, but you still have to tell your story and getting a job is the one time when it's okay to beat your chest a little bit, right? Especially like, let's say I wanted to, to get a job and, and I don't want to talk about myself, but maybe... Ram Castillo has a lot of influence. Then maybe we have an interview and I can get Ram to talk about me in a certain way. And then I amplify Ram's words. Then I don't even have to say, say it myself. That's, that's more a next level inception, right? Think about the people that you have that are friends that will say good things about you and assemble that into a reel. And then any potential employer could see a, a reel of five or six people, each one talking for a few seconds saying, hey, this is what I really like about Ram. It's this. And then another person says, you know what I really like about Ram? It's that. Yeah. Doesn't that carry a lot more weight? It shows initiative. The fact that they're going to be targeted inside you know, their Facebook app or on Facebook on their computer or whatever, and they see this thing, that alone is enough to get people interested so that you're not having to go through HR where you're talking directly, where the person, see the shift that Logan was talking about is you're getting these people when they see your content to reach out to you instead of you applying. So when they reach out to you, you have the upper hand. Yeah, and this is... Uh... This is so funny because I am a uh, Filipino-born thirty-year-old uh, who came to Australia when I was eight months old with my family. Grew up in Sydney, Australia, and a lot of my own personal experiences. Interestingly enough, I after finishing design school, I I had my first job at Ogilvy here in Sydney. Uh, so it's so funny you brought that up, but. The, the point I'm trying to make is all of these principles that you've just mentioned, you and Logan, I'm so glad you mentioned them because they're exactly the same foundations 
that I've come to learn from my mentors and my peers as well down under here and, and the books that I've read. Um, and it's um, something that I've also been a huge advocate of, uh, whether it's in my first book, How to Get a Job as a Designer, or the creative live classes um, that I held in San Francisco. And um, I really love how you broke it down in bite-sized pieces there. Um, and the alignment that I, uh, that I have with what you said was this idea that you've got to first ask yourself and really write down, who are you? What do you want? Mm -hmm. Why do you want it? Um, what's stopping you from getting it? And it's essentially a personal analysis of, of um, diving deep into that, which is really linked to your branding mm -hmm. because branding is, of course, all about personality. Um, and when you spoke about the first minute being when I was, I mm -hmm. love that because um, I'm a huge um, uh, fan of people telling stories mm -hmm. because they're stories of you that only you've walked through. And the outcome of a story is to uh, leave that person with uh, an emotional connection with you. It's, it's a part of being memorable. And the second thing that you said in the second minute could be something like, you know, what I've done, what I'm doing now, which is really cool because it's, yeah. it's again, it's, it's, it's connecting that in a very seamless dialogue. And then what I believe, what's your big, not even necessarily big vision, but like, what is your positioning? What is your brand position? What are you, what, what people are you looking to serve and help? So super powerful stuff. And I guess what you're talking about really is just about relevance and also reverse engineering the outcome. So, mate, thank you so much, Logan and, um, and Dennis, for sharing that. So people, they, they make decisions because of, there, there's always a real reason, and then there's kind of a fake, rationalized, justified reason, right? And when, when you know that companies are hiring people, the company is not hiring anybody. It's always a person. So if you develop that personal relationship with that person, and they get a sense of who you are and who knows you and what you've done, Look, if you are on the other side and you need to hire a couple designers or you need to hire up a team, are you going to hire, and let's say these, of these two people, they both have the same resume, same qualifications, same everything, but one of them, you hear their personal story and you kind of get a sense of who they are. And the other one, it's kind of like their LinkedIn and their resume or whatever. Which one are you going to hire? Mm, the, uh, the one uh, that uh, has given you the competence, the attitude, and the cultural fit. Because if you're working with somebody, think about this. This is a scary thought. How of, do you think people spend more time with their coworkers? You know, do they spend more time at work or do they spend more time with their wife? Uh, a lot of time at work. <laughs> probably spend more time with who they hang out with at work. So don't you think that that would be a very important decision on who you want to hang out with? For sure. So when people are making this, this, this is like a dirty little secret that I haven't heard anybody say, but you tell me if, if this resonates. People want to hire people that they'd like to hang out with, that they think they could go golfing with and just have a meal and shoot the breeze about whatever sports or whatever they want to talk about. So let's say, you know, we'll, uh, let's put you in the hiring manager situation again. Okay. And again, we've got these two people rammed. And one person is super qualified, super competent, great portfolio, do really, you know, they do really good work, just fantastic. 
but that are a little bit weird and nerdy and, you know, just like you don't, I mean, they're, it's not like they're a bad person, but they just, you just don't feel a connection. And then person number two, they do okay work, but they're like, they, you feel like they're a friend and you could hang out with them and, you know, feel good. And it just be a joy to be around. Who would you hire? Oh, for, for sure. The second guy. And don't you think that's the case? Absolutely. So yeah. what do you think most people are doing? When people are polishing up their resume and trying to get jobs, do you think they're trying to be more like person number one or more like person number two? I think most of them are thinking very technical. So person number one. And that's a big mistake mm. because people hire people. They're going to hire people they think that they can hang around with. Yeah. Right? That they could have fun because you're going to spend eight hours a day with this person. They better be somebody you feel like, you know, and it's not just because you're going to hire your friends because when you establish rapport with other people, then you have better communication. You're going to do better work. There's going to be less screwing up because of miscommunication. I mean, there are a lot of business reasons, legitimate business reasons to hang out with people that you like, which is not to say hire only white males or hire only people that came from your same tribe or culture or, you know, whatever it is. But there really is the, the importance of working together in a team means that people are hiring people. That's why a mentor is so important because a mentor can see where those holes are. A mentor can make introductions. A mentor, because of their trust, because of their network, can ease any kind of pain on, gee, I wonder if I hire Logan, if, if it's going to work out. Is he a good guy or not? Well, this other person that I respect says yes, and I've known him for a few years, and it's really good. That's every job I've had, every deal that we've gotten, it's not because Dennis Yu is really good at Facebook ads. I would like to think that I'm competent, or I'd like to think I'm pretty good at analytics, right? Like I'm not just a complete fraud. I feel like and I'm pretty good, right? But I'm sure there's a lot of people that are just really good. But the one thing I have is I've got a great network and I try to do my very best to take care of other people and to say thank you and to look for expertise when I don't have it. And that's the number one piece of advice I would give designers is it's not like you're going to cocktail parties all the time and shaking hands and collecting business cards. It's the exact opposite. It's developing a few key relationships with people that matter if you know who you are, because if you don't know who you are, you won't, you won't be able to figure out who these people are that need to be your mentors. And then if you reach out to them, they will say, yes, I challenge anybody on this podcast. Have you in the last month asked for anybody to be your mentor? Because if you have not, you're at a severe disadvantage. And you know, in the modern age, there's this idea of the hero where you against the, in the whole world, against all odds, you're some kind of Superman hero. But the reality is the people who are successful, as you've interviewed them, I've met these people, I've read them through books. When you trace back their story, they can always point to their success coming from other people that opened doors, did favors, didn't mean they'd have to work hard. Obviously, you got to work hard, but you can always trace it back to a mentor or multiple mentors. Yeah, I, um, I loved how you talked about the, uh, the story again, um, because it really... Uh, the, really resonates with me. It, it really does. Um, it's something that I am a huge advocate of. Um, because when I had my first, uh, sorry, my, yeah, my first job after Ogilvy was, um, when I went through a, uh, a two round process, uh, with the creative director of another agency, uh, within the McCann world group, um, another ad agency. And basically, um, the, second interview ended with the creative director telling me, so Ram, uh, 
we'd like to offer you the job as a junior designer, but it's not because uh, you are, um, it's not because you were the most competent, she said. Right. And then I kind of didn't know what, how to take that, but I kind of was like happy because she said, we'd like to offer you the job. So she, yeah. she went on to explain that uh, the reason why we're hiring you is because um, I see myself in you. Mm. Um, and you have this passion, you have this fire and you, you have this hunger to want to learn the technical stuff we can teach you, mm. but it's the attitude and it's the cultural fit. It's your, your level of your, um, you've got this, you know, you've got this go-getter attitude, but, um, you know, you've, you've kind of left the, the ego that a lot of others that they've interviewed had. And so that's what she was talking about in terms of the attitude, the cultural fit, um, and, uh, I was stoked. <laughs> so, um, good lesson there, um, that I'd learned, um, firsthand. So, um, guys, I'd like to talk to you about the six phases that you've identified of personal branding. And I think it's such a powerful and easy to follow process, uh, to help listeners have more visibility in their own branding and the branding presence of their clients too. So, uh, Let's, let's dive into it. Um, of, of course, um, many of the audience are emerging and established designers. As I said, um, they're looking to get noticed, have credibility, authority, and, and more opportunities. Uh, what's, what's the first phase that you can share with us? Awesome. We'd love to talk about that, Ram. So as Dennis mentioned really early on, you know, it believes in math and numbers and stuff. Because of that, we're very process-driven. We believe in repeatable excellence, and this is one of them to develop your story, your personal branding. We want people to be able to do that. So the first step is called plumbing. And we're not talking about, you know, indoor plumbing here, but basically as you reach out to people, the reality of the world we are in today is that it's a very digital world and a very social world. And you need to have your plumbing set in place. And by that, we mean you have to have these different social networks set up so that when you reach out to people, you can connect with them and you can see how many people are connected with you, how many followers you have. So you have to have a Twitter, a LinkedIn, a Facebook, you should have a Facebook profile and also a Facebook page, as well as Gravatar, all these different, you know, Instagram, it just kind of expands from there. But those are the core ones. So that you're able to connect with people. Like, you know, Ram, you're in Sydney, I'm in Utah, we're not about to meet up for lunch. But because of these networks, we can connect and introduce other people through that means. So that first step is really like the simplest and it's just called plumbing, just making sure you have these background things in place. So plumbing is important because without that, then the connections are not possible. Mm. So of course, you're going to Google people prior to meeting them. You're going to look at how many mutual friends you have in common. Maybe you'll look at their blog. If you're looking to hire a designer, you're going to look at their portfolio. So you'd be surprised how screwed up people are with their LinkedIn profiles. Mm. They don't choose a proper profile picture that's professional. Or if they have one that looks professional, it's them wearing a tuxedo. But then you see these fingers that are around their shoulder because they cropped out someone else that was standing next to them, which is probably <laughs> one of the most common things. We see. Right? There's all these dumb things. You don't even have to create your own WordPress website and all that. You can make a free one on Blogger or Blogspot or other places. But the key is you've got to have all these connected pieces that Logan talks about because on top of that, you can produce the content. But if you don't have the plumbing and you try to put content there, it's not going to work. And then in terms of the content, most people think a blog is just a random sequence of, oh, I took a picture of my food here. Oh, I'm checking at the airport over there. Does that tie with your mission and what you stand for and your story? If it doesn't, you know, employers are going to look at that and say, who is this person? Because it's not consistent. 
they say on the resume or they said in the interview that, that this is what they're about, but then I check out their LinkedIn and Twitter and whatever, and I see something else, it's people are going to see through that. Yeah, spot on. I think it's, um, the plumbing is a great analogy. Um, it reminds me of, you know, the, the engine room, the, the foundations, the, the hub, if you will, um, to, to make those connections and communications possible. So you started, um, alluring to the blogging, uh, side of things. So, um, uh, I think that links with, with phase number two, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. would you like to expand on, uh, on the blogging side of things, perhaps, um, you know, what, what do you think are, are people, um, what do you think in your experience is what stops people from starting a blog in the first place? They're self-conscious. And that's usually the underlying reason, which ties back into fear that they're afraid that they don't have something worthwhile to say, or that they don't have time, which is usually a reflection of fear that's underneath that. When we say blogging, we mean content production of any sort. It doesn't mean messing around, choosing a, a particular theme. Or I know if you're a designer, you probably want to make it look nice because otherwise people will say, what, this person's a designer? Look at this thing. But it's more important to produce content to show who you are. So I consider doing a one-minute Facebook Live video a great example of blogging. Who says that blogs got to, has to have to be text? I mean, the whole point of Instagram and Snapchat and these other ones is you're just taking photos or you're just saying something. And even if it's text, it can be simply a quote. It could be just like one thing you heard and that's a blog post all by itself. The fact is regular content production is just like, you know, Ram, I think we talked about this last time. If I want to lose weight, I can go work out super, super hard, you know, this afternoon, but I'm not going to drop 50 pounds in one day, right? I need to make it a habit. I need to do it every day. It needs to be built into a regular repeatable routine. And that's what content production is. Over the course of time, many lightweight touches, many connections that I make, many times that I say thank you to those that I've met, many small little meetings with my mentor, just getting feedback, multiple mentors, if I need multiple touches in multiple areas. It's the content production to so that A, people know who you are, and B, more importantly, you're sharing expertise because when you learn from your mentor, from you, when you learn from an event, from a book that you just read, and you share that right there in a one-minute Facebook Live video, you're uplifting other people. You're sharing knowledge instead of beating your chest, which is what social media is. Oh, look at this food that I'm eating. Who wants to see that? Yeah. And I think the blogging, uh, as you uh, just mentioned there, in terms of so many ideas that you can blog about, if you are a designer or a creative, you are pretty much in pole position to come up with content that is going to interest a broad audience. Meaning as a designer and as a creative, you see the world in in the lens of great curiosity. You see the world in the lens of great reflection. So as you said, it could just be a quote. It could be something that stuck with you uh, during a conference. It could be a quick video tip that you host on uh, on YouTube or Facebook, and then you you sort of repurpose that on the blog post with some notes. There's so many ways to blog about things that are relevant to the people that um, that within the community of designers and employers. And I think there's something really powerful about um, having a blog 
with your interest in design as a thing that is tangible and not a, oh yeah, I'm passionate about design. But to have someone say that and show it yeah. through a blog that exists tells the employer that, man, this guy's this guy or girl is pretty serious. Uh, look, they're sharing about their travels during their last trip to Europe and they checked out, um, you know, the uh, Basilica and took photos of that and then dug into the historical aspects and then linked it with our modern day world. I don't know, whatever it is. But they've obviously gone through a immersive, reflective process and sharing that. Um, which I think is authentic, authentic. And, and I, I recently, uh, heard the a definition described of authenticity from a recent, um, a recent event I went to called school of life. And I'll just share this with you because the word authenticity gets thrown around a lot, but, but this gentleman basically said the, the definition of authenticity to him was the alignment of what you say with what you do. Mm. And blogging is a perfect example of that. Um, so how do we take it to the next level? What's the third phase? So the third phase obviously lies sequentially as guest blogging. So after you're able to have some validation, something you stand for, the next thing you want to do is be able to reach out to other people's channels. And guest blogging is essentially what we're doing right now, right? Me and Dennis are on your podcast. You have a certain audience. You have validation. You have personal branding yourself. And right now, your audience is our audience. It's very similar to word of mouth. If I go around beating my chest about, oh, I'm Logan and I'm so great, you know, like no one wants to hear that. But when other people are featuring it for you, it becomes a lot more powerful. It would be like if you have a portfolio site, Ram, and some art director would reach out to you with, hey, check out this piece I have. And you were to post on your site, hey, you know, check out this up and coming guy. That would be way more effective for him than him just doing his own thing. Like he should do his own. But when you say it for him, it's a lot more effective. So guest blogging is, again, you have your plumbing in place, you start blogging, you start producing content, you're an expert in some kind of field, and you're connecting with other people in that similar field, you're reaching up to people, asking them to be your mentors, these different things. And then you're able to be on their site, their blog, their post, whatever it is, their audience becomes your audience. And we're all about it at Blitz Metrics. We write articles, and probably every article we include quotes from other people. You know, We're building them up, we're helping them with their personal branding. They return the favor doing it for us. So it's all about, you know, working together in that way. So like Logan's saying, it's, it's not that you're reaching out to all these other people saying, hey, will you interview me? Hey, I'd like to put an article on your blog. It's the exact opposite. With blogging, if you're doing your blogging the right way, you're uplifting other people. You're saying, hey, Ram, I want to interview you about your, your book that's coming out on how do you find a mentor if you're a designer? How do you get a job? I want to talk about that. And then I you're naturally going to want to reciprocate, right? That's how people are. That, that's how human psychology is. When you do a good favor and you share someone else's knowledge and then people see that you have a pattern of doing this and you've got good content, they're going to want to invite you to their show, to their podcast, to their conference, to all these other places because you've, you've developed enough content that shows that you are legitimate. The other part is that most people, especially designers, they feel that anything they produce needs to be perfect. And this perfection thing causes people to produce nothing. And we like to say something's better than nothing. Look, if you took your trip to Europe and you just snapped a couple pictures in the Louvre and you just had a thought here or there, you took a picture of something you saw, oh, it was, it was a really cool piece of furniture. I really like how this looks. 
that's enough. It doesn't have to be some gigantic work of art that, you know, some Picasso thing that took you weeks. It's merely these little touches because personal branding is less about the expertise. And it's more about the fact that people are getting to know who you are as a human being. And when people connect with you as a human being, the expertise of your network, of your mentors, shines through. I'll tell you another dirty little secret. Everything we've shared here with you, Ram, so far is completely plagiarized. Every principle that we're sharing here, we have learned from other people. There is nothing new. That, and the reason why what you say in your book is the same as what we're saying here is because we've learned from the same group of people, right? This, this common uh, knowledge on how do you build a business, it's, just, it's like the laws of gravity. There's laws in physics. There's laws in how people work together, except you can't see them, just like you can't see gravity. So all we're doing is we're sharing knowledge that other people have taught us. And so then you may attribute that to us, but it's not. You know, the, the moon doesn't produce its own light. It reflects the sun. And when you have great mentors and they teach you and you share their knowledge on your blog, other people are, are going to invite you to share that same kind of knowledge, which is how you go from step two to step three in guest blogging. Yeah, I uh, got, got uh, going with that quote that you said about the moon. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> the moon doesn't produce its own light. It reflects the sun. Boom. So your mentor. You're, you'll have multiple mentors. Who are they? Because their network, like Logan said, becomes your network. Yeah. Super powerful. Um, quick question on this before we move on to the next phase. Uh, how would one get an authority figure to guest blog um, if they have not kind of had any uh, social proof as such um, yet? Well, you're not going to reach out to Richard Branson. You're not going to reach <laughs> out to the LA Times, right, right? Right? You have to take small and bootstrap small into a medium and bootstrap medium into a large. So you probably know that I write for Adweek yeah. and Business to Community and a bunch of other high power sites. And at some point, I'm going to ask you to give me some tips for an article on, you know, whatever mm. at some point, right? And I and because we've interacted, because we've established personal communication, because it wasn't just you were asking me for a favor or I was asking you for a favor, but we've just lightweight touches where no one's trying to use each other. But over the course of time, we develop a relationship. Then I know I can count on you for some good tidbits on how to be an effective designer. And you know, you can count on us for how to create structured training that actually works with personal branding, right? So we develop a reputation there and you have to do that. And you start with your mentor, your mentor, if you've chosen well, it could be multiple mentors. They have those connections. You don't have to open any doors. They will willingly open doors for you. But the key is to start with one. You can have multiple mentors and they're going to make introductions. You don't even need to say anything. And they're going to say, hey, Ram, you need to meet this person. You guys should have a quick Skype, uh, Skype chat to talk about whatever, right? It will just naturally happen. Doors will open for you. My entire life has been nothing more than things that were handed to me. I can take no credit for anything that's good, any kind of accomplishment, I can take no credit for because it was handed to me. Hmm. It's funny when, um, when you're uh, replaying that, um, that idea of um, connections with people, starting small. Um, it's the very reason why we, of course, connected um, through Sue B. Zimmerman. Yeah. But when I think about how did I connect with her, 
it was through our connections as creative live instructors. Mm. And then when I reverse that, I go, how did I even get on creative live? And then it was like, well, um, the content in my book, how to get a job as a designer appealed to them because it was a missing uh, gap in their content. And then I thought, hold on, how did I write that book? And then I was like, well, I started off with blogging. And then I thought, how did I even get into blogging? And it was just back to the need mm-hmm. of writing my experiences because I didn't feel the things that um, I um, that I needed when I was starting out in the industry to get my foot in the door. It didn't exist. So I was then just writing more as a documenting of my journey. And I'll tell you, um, Dennis and Logan, the the first week I had maybe two or three hits, mm-hmm. not going to lie. And pretty sure the first two were my mom and my sister. <laughs> um, yep. And then interestingly enough, with no paid advertising, mm-hmm. nothing like that, thinking, not even thinking about any keywords as such, just writing. Within three months, it got featured on How Magazine and Communication Arts Magazine um, simply because I guess people were searching for questions, uh, searching the questions of of what was um, within my um, my uh, content. Um, and then get, I got invited to the American Institute of Graphic Arts uh, to meet with, um, at the time, Rick Graffay, uh, who was the executive director of AIGA back then. Um, who, and that was in New York. So it was through that connection that I had opened up a network with them. And now I write for uh, AIGA who have tens of thousands of members and um, their reach is um, in over half a mil. So um, yeah, very, very, <laughs> it's very um, much um, exactly along the lines of, of what you were saying. So um, thank you for that. Um, so let's move on to, it ties really well into the next phase. Can you, can you tell us about that? So networking, I'm going to give you a vignette that will tie into what you just said on how you eventually became, you know, wrote for AIGA in that you can't predict, you know, only in hindsight can you see where the story traces to create benefit and things that appear to be challenges or little favors that you did or little touches. You have no idea, you know, the whole world is small. You have no idea of the kind of impact that building that network can create down line. So for example, I was a goof off in high school, but there was one woman who really took an interest in me and her name was Elizabeth. And she was also an admissions counselor at Southern Methodist University. And long story, not quite as long. She got me a halfway, uh, you know, a half scholarship to be able to interview for a full scholarship. And because of that introduction, where she got me in to that university, I got a full scholarship at SMU, gave me the connection to Al Casey, who ran American Airlines, which got me American Airlines as a job. There's no way I could have gotten in there. I tried applying. You know, I really wanted to travel. I knew they had flight benefits. And the work I did in American Airlines, because I had more mentors, I I continued to accumulate mentors, got me into Yahoo to run analytics there. And the analytics at Yahoo gave me proof and networks and the ability to speak representing Yahoo. And prior to that, speaking, representing American Airlines all across the world, because I could fly to conferences and speak there. That got me into where we are now with creating jobs and blitz metrics and having the network at all these other you know, web companies at Facebook, at Google, at Yahoo, at all these different places. None of that would have been possible without Elizabeth, who was my high school guidance counselor that believed in me 20 years ago. 
And that just shows you the importance of the network and the small touches. It's only later in hindsight that you realize how powerful those become. Yeah, totally. Um, and so that was uh, phase number four, networking, hugely powerful. I guess, you know, starting with a hello is a crucial part of it, which are, many people don't even do. See, that was a story, but there's actually a process behind it. And the process is saying thank you at scale. Every connection that you have that's worthwhile, you want to keep those touches. You want to, you know, show an interest in what these folks are doing. You want to help them with their plumbing. You want to share their content. You want to do little favors for other people because that's what you do. When you have a mentor, they're giving you advice, but in exchange, you're trying to do things to be helpful and create value for them. And then they in turn reciprocate. Yeah. So networking and mentorship is the anchor that ties this whole thing together. Love that. Phase number five, what can we... Uh... Public speaking. Yeah, public speaking. Okay. That's tough. That's probably the biggest piece because... You know, people are more afraid of that than death and all these mm. kinds of analogies. But guess what? When you're talking with a friend, that's public speaking. Mm. You and I and Logan, we're chatting right now. That's speaking. When you're writing a blog post, that's kind of public speaking, but it's a little bit different. And what makes public speaking different than blogging or guest blogging or networking is you're doing it in a, pub, a public setting. You're doing it on a stage. You're doing it where lots of people can listen or watch. And so you've got to be able to learn how to manage a crowd. You've got to learn to tell a story in a compelling way without reading the slides. You need to have enough knowledge, enough networking. You see, without the network, that's why networking precedes public speaking. You and I know, for those of who are, who are listening that haven't spoken at conferences and what have you, the little secret there is that everyone knows one another, okay? And it's not the most competent people that are invited to speak. It's those people that know one another in the same way that people hire their friends and they hire people that they like. It's just, you know, it's who you know. It's not, you know, it's not what you know. It's who knows, you know. It's, it's who knows you, actually. It's more important than who you know. Yep, right? totally agree. And when you do public speaking, it's not because you're trying to get your message out on stage. And like Logan and I are going to, we're going to Singapore in two weeks and there's 5,600 people at this conference. I don't think he's spoken at a stage that's more than a couple hundred people before, right? That's right. But you know what? You're going to do it. You're not going to be scared. And, and, and it's not because... Oh, look at me. I'm on stage and look at all these pictures. I got tons of pictures of me speaking in front of big audiences and saying things that look like they might sound really motivational. It's not that. That's what people think public speaking is because they think it's all about them. No, no. Public speaking is how you share. It's, it's how you really share at a broader scale. And you're not thinking about you. You're thinking about the audience and that you're trying to communicate as honestly as possible and directly what you know because you're, you're focusing so much on them that you're not thinking about you. And anyone who has fear of public speaking is selfish because they're thinking about themselves. If you're loving and you're focusing outward, you can't be thinking about yourself. You cannot have fear. Yeah, Matt, you, uh, you said it perfectly and uh, articulated all the things that, um, that I, I also have found along the way, um, especially the bit about focusing on the need of the audience not how your hair looks or what you're wearing or <laughs> how you sound like, yeah. um, all those things. Um, that's great. So uh, the last phase, guys, uh, what's the last phase? You're putting a book out. Mm. And a book can be a course. It can be a, a lesson where people download the 10 ways on how to do whatever. But we think proper instruction, it's not just getting on stage and motivating people by telling a few stories. It's actually having a systematic process that other people can follow, just like a a textbook 
where you have lessons and chapters and quizzes and exercises along the way. If you truly know how to accomplish a particular kind of goal, to play the guitar, to be able to hit the golf ball, to be able to use Photoshop properly, to be able to do whatever it is that you know, you're able to break that down into a series of steps that other people can follow that are so tightly organized that it's not dependent upon your personality or charisma or your unique circumstances that other people can't follow. And that's why we believe the ultimate giving, the sharing of knowledge, is packaging it into a book or to a course. And that's what we are as Blitzmetrics, as a training company. So these six phases that we talked about, plumbing, blogging, guest blogging, networking, public speaking, book, all of those things we have broken down into individual steps that we want to let everyone in giant thinkers avail themselves to no cost. We want you to follow these steps because if you are out there sharing what you know in a systematic course-like way and you're an instructor, you have authority because of your experience, because of who you know, because you've documented this, because it's shared in high authority places, because you are respected, because you know all the other people that are doing the same thing and it's reinforced. And we know it's legitimate because the things that you're saying echo what we're saying. And it's not because we're copying you or you're copying us. It's because these are core principles. And when you start to see this kind of harmonization, that's when you know you found the truth. Uh, interestingly enough, um, something that you guys will, uh, I'm sure, find um, resonate with with the book phase as well is that when I first wrote my first book with people that I hadn't seen in a while, some even many years, the first thing that they asked me wasn't, um, you know, how are you? How's things? The first thing that they asked me was, uh, how are your book sales going? Mm. And I think there is a real cultural, um, I guess, dilemma in a way where we're so focused on making money and being the next millionaire, billionaire, whatever. Um, and, and for me, the reason why I wrote the book and released the book was for two reasons. It was to filter out the people that were really serious about this topic. And secondly, that it demanded the reader to to um, take it a little bit more seriously because um, you're purchasing an exchange of money for that transaction, and it's not it's not positioned in a way that was a throwaway. It's not like a mm. a temporary thing, like a blog post where you could just quickly skim through it and then it's gone. It's a quick hit of that subject matter it it demands the person that that has the book to sit down and spend some quality time interacting with um, the experiences of that author in a way it's diving into the mind of the author and in a way almost interviewing the author Mm -hmm. um, with the last 10 to 20 years of their experience or more Um, so i'm glad that you that the last phase about about building a strong personal brand is writing a book mm. um, or just writing in general. But, but having a book, again, it demands, um, it demands and curates the audience at, at a level which um, is real to them. Um, they really need that and you really need to tell them that. Um, super cool. So let's wrap up now with a couple more questions. Um, 
time has flown by. Uh, a question I ask most of my guests, uh, Dennis, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds, speak to junior Dennis Yu, perhaps the one finishing high school, what would you tell him? I tell the junior Dennis, it's better to be kind than it is to be right. Mm. Because so many times I will argue a point that's log- logically correct and I will be right, but it'll hurt other people. And I find that if I had to choose between having great relationships and having great knowledge, I'll choose relationships. Mate, love that. So uh, who has been a giant uh, thinker in your life? Someone that has um, impacted you, uh, inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? When I was at American Airlines, there was one of the folks that I hired as a contractor and his name was Tony Schmitz. And he built a lot of the back end. And if it wasn't for him, the website wouldn't be working and we couldn't have processed $3 million a day in sales and all the kinds of great accomplishments that we had. And one day he took me aside because I was complaining about how one of these other people in the company or one other vendor we were dealing with was just playing politics. And I was just so frustrated over all kinds of you know, bureaucratic political nonsense. And he said, Dennis, you know, you're not going to win this game because it's, it's like that war games thing to play it is to lose. He said, there's another game that's much bigger and you need to exit this corporate game and become an entrepreneur. Because if you play the game of being a corporate bureaucrat, you could make it to vice president in another year or two, but you won't be happy because you're playing the wrong game. And he opened my eyes to a world that I didn't even realize was possible because I'd read, I've read so many books and I, I was just somehow, you know, if you spend too many years in the corporate space, you get this myopia because you're, you're around the sheeple all the time. There's nothing wrong with working a corporate job, but if you want to be an entrepreneur, then there's other, it's a different environment, as you know, just like if you want to be a freelancer versus, you know, have be an employee somewhere. And he told me his story that I never realized was possible, the struggles that he had. He had started three different companies in three completely different spaces that all became NASDAQ traded. They were, so, they were so successful, right? They hit the stock market. He became a multimillionaire many, many times over. And he sat down and coached the, the dumb, young Dennis Yu on what it meant to be an entrepreneur, what it meant to be successful. And these are the principles that I learned that reinforced what I already heard from Al Casey, who was the CEO at American Airlines and other folks. And I thought, man, if he never sat down and taught me these things, I would still be stuck in American Airlines. I would still be unhappy. And, you know, I had a good experience in American. They treated me well. It wasn't like it was a bad company. But think about the power of just one piece of advice at the right time. What a difference that can make. The butterfly that beats its wings that causes the, you know, hurricane later, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, I um, I totally um, loved what you said about um, the advice you got on playing uh, the wrong game in a way. Um, there's a quote that I ran into recently and I'll just quickly read it out because it's such a powerful quote. It's by Rick Warren. And he said, friends, I've seen many men and women climb the ladder of success at great cost. I've watched them lose their values, ethics, kids, respect, give it all up and get to the top of the ladder only to find out that it was leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah. Super powerful. <laughs> yeah, super powerful. Um, so what's next for you, Dennis, and everything you're involved in this year and beyond with Logan and your team? So we are rolling out our training system to a number of schools, or six of them in our pilot program. At, and it includes free training on digital analytics. The schools are helping us. They're providing the physical classroom space. 
We only do this at a few schools because we believe that if you're going into a program, you need to have accountability physically with other people that are there. If you're trying to do it by yourself and you don't have, and there's not the buddy system, you're not going to succeed unless you have incredible discipline. Same thing with freelancers. You guys know that the difference between a freelancer and an employee is you have to have amazing discipline because you're not going to an office every day. So we want to teach these principles necessary so that you can be successful as a freelancer, as an agency owner where you're employing other people instead of just being you doing consulting. And we would like to see entrepreneurship flourish. And we want to share these principles. We want to see other people exercise them because then they're going to pay it forward by sharing. And in a few months, you're going to see this on blitzmetrics.com. If you are not a student, then you can pay a few dollars and get access to these courses. But we're not doing it to try to make money. In the same way, Ram, with your second book out, you didn't do it to get rich. You didn't think you're going to make millions of dollars by pushing your book out there. You did it because you believed in it, because this, this book had to be written and you were compelled to do so. And we are compelled to do so. And that is our company's mission. And anything you can do to further that education, to bridge the gap between getting a degree and getting a job and eventually being an entrepreneur or doing something bigger and being able to pay it forward is where people are going to find meaning. Where designers, they may do corporate stuff like landing pages and brochures, but to really find meaning, to really be validated, they need to know that this is valuable and they're not just doing it for a paycheck. They need to know that they're expressing themselves. themselves. They need to know that they're helping other people because if you're not helping other people, then what are you doing anyway? You're just doing it for the money. And there's all kinds of justifications. The people I know that make the most money, a lot of them, they regret that because they're lawyers or whatever and they, they don't like to sue people. But they, you know, you pay enough money to do something that's distasteful. I'm not saying all the people that make money are doing bad things, but you've got to consider the balance between doing things that you love and doing it in such a way that you can get paid for it. And we want to enable that system. And we think that mentorship plus process, like what we're talking about with these six phases of personal branding, we created a guide we'll share with you right now. That's where everything's going. And anyone that wants to help or anyone that wants to go through this training and apply these steps, we would love to see that. And as you have success along the way, share it. Do your one minute Facebook Live. Share that with other people. Find your mentors. Tell us what's working or not. Tell us how we can make the training better. Tell us how it works in your part of the world, right? Tell us how you want to be a leader too, or how we can help you. That's what we want to do. And that kind of paying it forward, that's the ultimate currency, not financial currency. It's not the $10 for your book. It's the fact that you're making an impact on people's lives. How can uh, listeners get in touch with you online, Dennis? Actually, LinkedIn is the best way professionally because uh, you can get the 17,000 connections on LinkedIn. I'm at 7,000. 5,000 is the max on Facebook, which is where I'm at. So if you go to blitzmetrics.com, you can look up Logan Young and myself and connect with us there. You can also follow us on Twitter. I wouldn't recommend Facebook friending. That's usually what you want to do with people who are actually friends of yours. And you can email us, dennis at blitzmetrics.com and logan at blitzmetrics.com. And we always answer email. It may take us a day or two, but we always answer email. And if you have a mentor, someone that you're afraid of reaching out to because you're afraid that they're famous or whatever it is, you'll find that they, people actually will reply and they'll help you. And that's the mark of someone who is a good mentor and someone who's successful is that they don't feel threatened they, and they love to help. Just try. Don't be afraid of rejection. Just try. People like me, people, whoever it is in your neighborhood, in your industry, just reach out saying, hey, I'd, I'd love to, to be mentored by you in this particular way. Don't ask them for a ton of time. Do your homework in advance. 
but love to help out. And I think you will find success. Just try it. That's awesome. So Dennis, you and Logan Young, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time and being generous in sharing your story with us here. It's been such a pleasure. Um, and uh, I wish you safe travels uh, to Singapore and beyond and any, everywhere else you guys are headed. Appreciate it, Ram. We're happy to be on and talk with you. Cool, buddy. What a cracking episode. I'm sure you appreciated all the practical advice that Dennis and Logan shared. Feel free to contact them. They are highly responsive and would no doubt love to hear from you. Now, a sneak peek into the next guest. He is a household name when it comes to fashion photography and is renowned as an international Vogue cover photographer, among many other magazines. He is also the main photographer for Victoria's Secret and has made appearances on both America and Australia's Next Top Model. He has shot advertising campaigns for brands including Rolex, Evian and Revlon and has photographed a growing list of the world's most famous, including Scarlett Johansson, Bill Clinton, Rihanna, Halle Berry, Alessandra Ambrosio, Tyra Banks, Giselle, and Naomi Campbell. In 2007, he was awarded the Hasselblad Masters Award and has even been featured on Oprah, Good Morning America, and Access Hollywood. I'm super pumped for you to listen to this living legend in the world of photography. Now, real quick, before you race off, as mentioned at the beginning, I highly recommend you check out FreshBooks if you're a small business owner, especially if you're a freelancer. I wouldn't recommend it if I didn't think it'd be valuable for you. Another feature that I love about FreshBooks is that it helps you avoid having that awkward conversation with your clients about pending payments they need to make. FreshBooks automates late payment email reminders so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic. You can take pictures of receipts on your phone using FreshBooks's mobile app and make claiming your expenses a million times easier. They're offering a month of unrestricted use to all Giant Thinkers listeners totally free right now. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash giant and enter Giant Thinkers in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash giant and the clickable link is in this post. Lastly, head to giantthinkers.com slash mentor and opt into the mailing list, which is specifically for updates regarding my next book and you'll hear about it when it launches any day now. I'll leave you with a quote from Dennis. He said, it is better to be kind than it is to be right. What a powerful reminder for us all to focus on nurturing the relationships we have. Be well, be kind to each other, and I'll catch you on the next episode. 